Amen, amen. Don't you love your pastors? Come on, give it up for Pastor Marlon, Pastor Michelle. They're amazing. Um, we just spent the last few days down in Orlando, Florida. And uh, man, we were kind of messed up a little bit. <laughs> we were at a conference and man, Jesus was just all over it. Um, but I want to do something before we start. I asked Erica to just lead us in this song and I love this song so dearly. And it's something that I pray every day. It's something that I pray before I preach, but I want to spend some time in worship today. But before, before she sings it, man, Jesus is in this room. <laughs> like worship was powerful. And I want to say something to those in this room that lead worship, whether you lead worship here or in other places. When Jesus shows up, don't stop. When Jesus enters the room, don't stop. That's why we're here. That's why you came to this place today. You didn't come to hear somebody preach. You didn't come to hear music. You came to meet with Jesus. Jesus looks at his disciples, his 12, after he begins to teach these hard messages. You remember he says that you can't be my disciple if you don't eat my body and drink my blood. The Bible tells us that the multitudes left him when he said that. And he looked at his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else? Where else will we go? Where else will we go? You're the only one that has the eternal words of life. What, like, what, what else are we here to do? You're not here to hear me talk. You're not here to sing songs. Like, why did you get up, get dressed, and drive to Wycliffe, Ohio this morning? Why did you come here? Was it to see your friends and family? Was it to hear an encouraging word? No, it wasn't any of that. We get those things and those are beautiful, but you showed up today to meet with Jesus. So when he walks in this room, nothing else matters. Erica, could you sing this for us, please? Yes, Lord. 
Well, I, want this, I want to sing that one more time, but can we all lift our hands in this room? Come on, let's sing this to him. Come on, lift your voice in this room today. thing that you desire to do, Holy Spirit, and would you glorify Jesus in this place today? We ask you, Holy Spirit, would you allow the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on us so that we can see him today, so that we can know him today, that when we leave this room, God, we wouldn't leave having heard some good words from a person or some good songs from a worship team, but we would have left here meeting with the one who was nailed on the cross for our sins. Jesus, we love you. Come on, tell him, tell him, church. Say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Where else will we go? For you alone have the words of life, Jesus. You make our hearts come alive. And we love you so dearly. We love your presence, Jesus. We bless your holy name today. Come on, bless his holy name. We bless your holy name, Jesus. We bless you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Yes, Jesus. We love you. We love you. One of the pastors at the conference we were at, he released this word, and it's found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. And the word of God says, The Lord is seated in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And he said that there is coming a new move of God where his people are so in love with him that they would come into the temple and this stage will be empty. No one needs to lead us in worship. No one will need to play the keys beautifully. No one will need to preach, but all the earth will just be, will just be captivated by the beauty of the Lord. So much so that we could sit in silence in his presence. And church, I desire that day I desire that day so much where we know him so intimately where we don't have to have a pastor tell us about Jesus 
but we could come in and sit in his presence. You're so good to us, Jesus. We love you so much. You know, in the time that I have with you today, I'm, I'm so grateful to be with you all. I haven't been here in a while, like Pastor Marlon said. If you don't know me, my name's Dominic. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and, and me and my family are getting ready to move to Texas. So we're on our way um, to Abilene, Texas. My wife, she's from Texas, and uh, she, her father, my father-in-law, has pastored an incredible church down there for the last 31 years. Um, and he's been asking me and Emily for the last eight years to come down and to take over his church for him as he's wanting to kind of step into the season of retirement. Um, and the answer had just been no for eight years for us. Um, but man, the Lord just, when the Lord has a plan, you, you just not much you can do about it, right? It's just like he has his way. And so he just put all the pieces together. And so we'll be going down there um, at the end of uh, October, beginning of November, to take that church from him. And I believe the Lord wants to do some powerful things down there in Abilene. <clears throat> Amen. I'm excited to get to be a part of it. And I know that the Lord's doing some mighty, mighty things here at Church on the North Coast. Come on, are you thankful for this house? Is anybody thankful for this house? Oh my goodness. So amazing, so amazing. So what I, this will be um, the last time for me here as a pastor on staff, you know, my wife and I will be back. You'll see me again and I'll get to see you and your family again. Um, but for my last time with you as a pastor here at Church on the North Coast, um, I was just asking the Lord and, and just really f- trying to think, what should I share with you? And this has become my life message, I think. This has been become something that I've found that if we focus on this as Christians, if we make this our North Star, if we allow this thing to drive us every single day of our life, then everything else seems to fall into place. Relationships become healthy. Your mental health becomes healthy. Your physical health becomes healthy. Like, like we look for things in life But what I've learned is if you do this one thing, then everything else is truly added unto you. And it's this, and the title of my message is this, the knowing, the knowing. Can you say that to your neighbor? The knowing, the knowing. And here's a scripture verse that I I so, I love so much. It's in John chapter 17, verse three. And this is when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's getting ready to die on the cross. You know, this is where we see him sweating drops of blood. And he's agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going through a brutal, brutal time. And he prays this prayer. And I actually want to challenge you all in this room. I want you to memorize the scripture verse. And before you're like, Pastor, I can't memorize scripture. I bet you could tell me at least five players that are about to play on the Browns. So... You know all them, you can know the word of God, okay? You guys are smart, and I believe that many of you can have this memorized before you leave. But this has become one of my favorite verses because it, it, it guides me. It steers me. It corrects me. It challenges me. It, it disciplines me when I need it, when I get off course. This is what Jesus says. And this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. How many know Jesus doesn't speak idle words? The things he says, he means, and he says them for a reason. He could have said anything here. He could have said, and this is eternal life, that they may one day walk the streets of gold. It's not what he says. And this is eternal life, that they may live forever in peace. It's not what he says. When Jesus describes eternal life, he describes it using one thing, that eternal life for us would be that we might know God. We have been sold, I believe, a cheap version of what heaven is going to look like. We've been told that there's going to be pearly gates, and there will be, We've been told that he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more sorrow, and that's true. 
We've been told we get to see our loved ones. We get to walk on the streets of gold. We get a mansion that's waiting for us. And all of those amazing things are true. But do you know what the best part of heaven is going to be? It's going to be knowing God. The best, the highest pleasure in heaven is that we can know the Lord. Paul says that we we see in part, we know in part, but there's a day to come that we will know just as we are known. And this is the treasure of eternal life. This is what Jesus uses to describe eternal life. So how many think that knowing God is important? (laughs) Here's the beautiful thing about knowing the Lord, is that you don't have to wait to die to step into eternal life. Like, God is, he, he is so eager to reveal himself that he could not wait until you and I step on that side of eternity. His desire is to reveal himself now to us so that we can have eternal life on this side of death. This has to be, church, our North Star. This has to be our purpose for existing Every day we wake up, every breath that we take, everything that we do in life has to be driven by this one truth in reality that my goal is to know God. Because everything in your life flows from this point. I'll show you this in a second, but I want to show you this, this uh, the idea, my, my idea for the message today. It's a little, it's kind of like a sentence or a prayer if you want to write it down, but But the idea is this, may my life be full of the knowledge of God. May my life be full, full of the knowledge of God. Everything that I do, if I, like, this is is what I mean. When I am, when, when they're laying me to rest at my funeral, my family, my friends are there. If they, I would love if they said Dominic was a great husband, he was a great father, he was an amazing pastor and preacher, he was a good friend, hopefully they'll say I was a good golfer, all of those things, right? But if they don't say any of those things, my desire is that they would say he knew God. And we were at this conference a couple days ago and we listened to a pastor, Pastor Tommy Reed, and he's 91 years old successful ministry. He pastored Benny Hinn. He was Benny Hinn's pastor. Preached all over the world. An incredible man of God. At 91 years old, he said something that shook me to my core. He said, if I could, he said, if I could describe my relationship with God, I would say that I think that we are friends. I think that we're friends. And isn't that what we want, church? If we can say one thing about our relationship with God, would it be that he used me mightily? I don't care about that. If I could say one thing about my relationship with God is that he, he allowed me to preach his word or build his church or sing his songs or do any of that. That doesn't matter when you're 91 years old. When you're at the end of your life, the one thing that you want to consider, that you want God to say about you, is that you were his friend and that you knew him as a friend. This is the purpose of our life as Christians, is to know the Lord. This is what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now, I've heard this verse many times, and I've preached it, and I've never really saw the second half of this verse, but it says this, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So by his divine power, he has gifted you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. But it comes through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So when we pursue the Lord 
and specifically the knowledge of the Lord, when you make your life about knowing God, the promise here is that everything pertaining to life and godliness is given to you. You're a a better mother when you know God. You're a better husband when you know God. You're a better friend when you know God. You're a better employee when you know the Lord. We desire to have success in our life and be the best versions of ourselves, but that does not come by working really hard. That doesn't come by trying to be a better person. It comes by one thing. It comes by the knowledge of God. And when you know God, he transforms your life and makes everything else around it better. So now my goal is not to be a better Dominic. My goal is to know God. My goal is to be known by God. And it's through that knowledge that I'm forever changed. So, man, I promise I'm going to make this brief, but I want to share with you three things, three ways that you can know the Lord, if that's okay. Is that all right? Okay. Man, we were, they were, uh, they were having some church this weekend, this past weekend, man. We were... Just, I, just to let y'all know, this is funny, because I'm not going to keep you this long, but we got to the church at about 9-ish, 9.30, and the first night, we got there at 9, we left at 11.30 p.m. Yes, 9 a.m., 9 a.m., 9 in the morning till 11.30 at night. The second night, we got there at 9.30 a.m. and left at like about 10, 10.30, 10.45, 11. It was insane. I was like a zombie, just like, Jesus, I love you, but I can't think, right? <laughs> it was funny because we were talking like, man, we're going to go home and go to church on Sunday, and we're going to be like, man, that was short. <laughs> like, we're, we're used to like these 14-hour meetings, you know? So we're going to see if we can get you guys here past like three today, if that's okay. I'll give you half of it. I'm just kidding. But here's the, here's the first thing I want to I tell you. And the Lord has been really moving in my life for the last few months about this. But you can't know the Lord if you don't honor the Word of God. So the first thing that you need to know, and, and, and I, I don't even like saying the first thing because it implies that there's a second thing. And it implies that the, the second thing is close to the first thing. But I, I just want to be very clear here. If you want to know God, you have to honor the Word of God. This is the primary way that God reveals himself to us. The second way is like, it's like the word of God and then the next thing is all the way down there. Like it's not close. There's a galaxy in between these two things, okay? Like if you desire to know the Lord, you must know the word of God. In his word, he reveals who he is. And I do not have trust for individuals who do not read the word of God, but claim that they know God. I will never trust you. I can't trust you because you don't know him. Like there are people, there are people who I know these people, like I've had conversations. I love these people. And they have told me, Dominic, I just, I I don't really like the Bible. It just is confusing. It's hard to read. So I just spend time in worship and I put worship music on and I, I just worship God. Like, I love you, but you are so wrong. You're so far away from knowing the Lord because you can't know God apart from his word. I don't care how much Bethel music or Elevation music you sing to yourself at night. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know God. I know people who say, Dominic, I just love, like, I don't, I don't really read the word because I, I spend my time in prayer. And the Lord speaks to me in prayer, so I don't need to read the Bible. That is so, so dangerous. And I don't care how anointed or holy or like powerful you think you are in prayer. If you do not know his word, you know nothing about God. You don't know him at all. And the danger and the heartbreak that I have and and why I'm so passionate about this is because less than 18% of you will go home and open that this week. We have an epidemic in the body of Christ. And that is biblical illiteracy. We don't know the Bible. We don't know God. 
Christians don't know his word. And we wonder why so many Christians are struggling and, and, and misrepresenting who God is on this earth. I think the statistic, and I don't know for sure, but I know it's, I'll just say this, it's under 10% of millennials, my generation, about 30 and under, 35 and under, 10, less than 10% of millennials have a biblical worldview. That means this, less than 10% of my generation believes that this is the authority of God. We've used this book to help us start a business. We've used this book for advice and suggestions and to teach us how to be a better mother and father, and we've used God's word to help us out. And it's so dangerous because when we feel confident enough in ourselves, we'll think, I don't need his word because I don't need help. But God's word is not here to help you out. His word, everything in here, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, points to one man. It points to Jesus. Everything, everything in here points to Christ. And when we read this, it is like looking out of a peephole in your door. Anybody still have those? When somebody knocks on your door, you look out of a little hole. The word of God is like looking out of a tiny little hole that you might see a glimpse of the living God. Everything in it is a window to his glory. The word of God is about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how we can be better people. It is about Jesus. Let's go down to John chapter 5. I'm skipping around a little bit back there, Tim. But John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is speaking to, his, speaking to some Pharisees. And just for context, if you don't know about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders in that day, and their job was to know the Word of God. And I'm talking about they didn't memorize some Scripture verses. They knew the whole Bible. They can recite the entire Torah to you. They had it memorized. And Jesus says this to them. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So picture this. You have, let's say Pastor Ron's here. Everybody loves Pastor Ron. Give it up for Pastor Ron. Amen. Pastor Ron, can you stand up? Can you stand up? So Pastor Ron is Jesus, okay? Pretend to be Jesus. We'll just pretend like you're not wearing that Titans jersey for a second. We'll just pretend. I picked the wrong person. That's my fault. Pastor, Pastor, you can still be Jesus, kind of. Yeah, yeah, you can still be Jesus. Pastor Ron is Jesus, and it is as if me and Pastor Ron are having this conversation. Come up here a little bit. And, and we're talking, and he's talking to me about the Word of God. And I'm telling him, no, this isn't, you know, you're not right about that, and this isn't what this means. But he's God himself. And I can relate to the word of God and miss him. I, I, can, I can have this sitting on my nightstand gathering dust all the while, hold this for me, it, he's, it's him. It's him. Jesus is gathering dust on your nightstand. Jesus is gathering dust on your nightstand. You, you have the privilege and honor to take these words, to open them up, and to meet him, this person right here. And it is through the scriptures, all of them, that when we read them, we see who Jesus is. Like, the word of God is not about you. It's not about me. It's not to help encourage you. Like, you're not David fighting Goliath, okay? You're not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break it to you. You are, if you want to find yourself, you are the terrified Israelite standing on the mountaintop that's too afraid to do anything. David is Jesus. He is the Christ and he defeated death. That is how Christ is revealed in the Old Testament. Like you're, you're not like, like 
people say like, oh yeah, like I'm like Noah and God's delivering me from all of my problems. That's not about you. Like it's about Christ. And, and he is the ark. Jesus is the ark. And anybody found in Christ does not have to pay the price for their sin, which is death. It is all about Jesus. And when you read the word, your first thought has to be, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? Because if I promise you, church, please hear me. If you sit down tomorrow morning or even tonight and you open this word, if you open it, by yourself and just say, okay, Dominic, let's just read this because Pastor Dominic was yelling at me today and I I just am going to read it. If you do that, you will be like a Pharisee who knows the word and misses Jesus. But if you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you please reveal yourself in here? What you'll find is that the person comes alive in this Without him, none of this makes sense. It's just words. It's just scribbles. But with Christ, we know him through the word of God. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Pastor Ron. There's a scripture verse, and in, in, so there's a scripture verse in James chapter 1. Tim, can you look up scripture verses on there? I didn't give you this, but if you can put this on, it's James chapter 1, verse uh, 25. James chapter 1, verse 25. If you want to go there. Oh, you got it. Sick. Okay, this is such a beautiful scripture verse, but this is what James says. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. I love this. I love how he says that so much. The perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Watch this. This one will be blessed in what he does. This word that James uses when he says, but he who looks, that word looks, is the same word used when, when Peter and John go into the tomb to look for Jesus. It's the same word used when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and looks for Jesus. It is this word that literally means this, to stoop down and to examine closely. And as they approached the tomb of Jesus, that's what they did. They, they got down really low. Oh, I'm going to fall over. There we go. And they looked closely for Jesus. And this is how James says that we ought to approach the word of God. That we, we look into the perfect law of liberty every single day. We come humbly before his presence. And we come low and we say, Jesus, where are you? We don't just read, you don't just, you're not just reading the Bible. Like, like let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a couple challenges out there, okay? Let me challenge you. Every single person in this room, one scripture verse is not enough. I'm sorry. You can't read one scripture verse. It's not enough. Two is not enough. One chapter of the Bible is not enough. You should at least, okay? Listen, I'm, this is the last time I'm preaching, so you can be mad at me. I don't care. You should at least be reading three chapters of the Bible every day at least. And when I say reading them, I don't just mean like, all right, I'm done and go do your thing. I mean, you should be studying the scriptures, looking into the perfect law of liberty. You should study the context, the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic. You should look into the, the word of God. And before you tell me you cannot do that, you have a lot of time to look into the things of this world. Because just the other day, I spent about two hours in my fantasy football draft. And I knew every detail about every one of these dorky football players that we're about to watch. I knew all of them. I knew who the best running back was going to be. Prayers out to Nick Chubb, by the way. I knew who the best quarterback was going to be. I knew all the statistics. I knew the coaches, the assistant coaches. So before you tell me you don't have time or mental energy, fellas, to know the word of God, don't, don't say that. It's an excuse. And ladies, I'm coming for you too. Because my wife knows more about the hosts of the HGTV show than, than anybody I know. She's like, oh, do you know they just had a kid? I'm like, how do you know this? Why do you know? Like, you don't know them. You've never met them. Like, some of y'all ladies know more about the desperate housewives than you know about the word of God. Okay? Just saying. Like, we have to get off of this thing that says, I, oh, I, I just can't memorize scripture. I'm bad at it. 
You're bad at it because you don't try. You choose to be bad at it. You have to get into this word. Hide it in your heart. Know the word of God because if you don't, you don't know Jesus. So when you honor the word, you, you know God. Here's the second thing. And remember, when I say second thing, I mean distant, distant second. Like, I, I honestly should have just preached about the word today and, and not even done any of these other two things because I'm just, I'm telling you, if you, if you can learn, this, this is what Paul says to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, we don't have to go there, but 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 4, verse 8, he's kind of saying his farewell to Timothy. This is when he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Remember that? He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my race. And then he says this, that, that the Lord has for me the crown of righteousness. And he says this, not just for me, but for all who loved his appearing. For all who loved his appearing. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me when, when I read that. That that word appearing is referring to when Christ comes again, his second coming. But it's also speaking of every single time Christ is revealed. In worship today, Christ was revealed. And he's looking for people who won't just tolerate his appearing, but who love when he's revealed. And I want to be a person that if I'm in a room or if I'm in a conversation, or if I'm in the scriptures, or if I'm in worship, and I sense that Christ is revealing himself, I don't want to be too busy to miss him. I don't want to be too busy, or too tired, or have something going on, or say, oh, I've already heard about that. Every time Christ reveals himself, I want to be there to say, thank you, Jesus. I love, I love your appearing, Jesus. I love when you open up the scriptures, God, and you reveal Jesus to me. I love that. It is the thing that makes your heart come alive. And this is how we know him. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this. We minister to him. We minister to him. I love so much, I can't tell you how much I love worship today. It was amazing. It was so amazing because of the fact that I don't think I heard me or you all set. I loved it. There's a very harsh reality in Christian culture where we have written these songs that should be more conversations with your counselor or your therapist because they're about you and your problems please don't come into this room sing to a holy God about you and your problems he already knows your problems he knew you and your problems before you even existed you don't need to put them into song okay when we come into this room our job is to lay down our issues and our problems, and to glorify the name of Jesus. When we minister to the Lord, he comes into the room and he ministers to you. But if, you're, if you just want to sing about your issues, you're just in the wrong place. We're not here to sing about our problems and our issues. And, and this, is a beautiful, this is a beautiful context as to how the entirety of your life should look. Not just worship, but this is how we should approach the Lord. Our priority should be to minister to him. We come and approach the Lord to minister to him. I, I'm, uh, I'll just paraphrase this, this, this uh, passage, but if you want to check, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for time's sake. But what we see is we see this man named Elijah. Remember Elijah? And he comes into this town, God sends him into this town, and he tells Elijah that there's going to be a widow who will provide for you. That's a very weird statement to begin with because traditionally widows were very, very poor. They didn't have anything, and we'll see here in a second. It was during a famine in the land, and he finds the widow and he says, hey, go make me some bread. 
And the widow says, I can't do that. I'm on my way to make the last of what I have so that me and my son could die. Elijah says this, don't worry about that. (laughs) Go ahead and do as you've said. But before you make yourself something, make me something. And it is in her obedience to the word of God that she ministers to the man of God first. And what she finds is that that small, empty bottle of oil and that really small, empty jar of flour for somehow, miraculously, it never runs out. The Lord provided for her in her ministering to him. Are you hearing me today? The Lord has prepared a table, Psalms 23, before you in the presence of your enemies. Some of us get so distracted by the things that we want in life that we won't sit down at the table. We won't come to the Lord. Like I made my son dinner, uh, lunch a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago now, and, and he said, I want a peanut butter and jelly, and I made it. I mean, I'm the best at peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's like one of two or three things that I know how to make. So I made it, and I said, Judah, come sit down. And he walks, and he stops, and he says, I can't sit down. I don't have my chips, Dad. I need my chips. And he's panicking. And I said, boy, if you don't just sit down, I promise you I'm going to go get your chips. Just sit down. And he comes a little bit closer to the table, and he stops, and he says, Dad, I don't have a drink. How am I going to eat my sandwich without a drink? So dramatic. I said, Judah, just sit down. If you would just come to the table and sit down, I promise I will get everything that you need. And this is the word of the Lord for you today. If you will just come to him, minister to Jesus. So don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about the things in life that you need. He knows, Jesus says this, how, how many of you could even add a cubit to your height by worrying? You can't change things by worrying, but your father in heaven clothes the lilies of the field and they don't have to worry about anything. He feeds the mouth of every sparrow and they don't reap or sow or nothing. How much more will your Father in heaven take care of you? Our job is to come to him. It's to minister to him. And he provides. He heals. He fills every need with himself. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. We just have to trust him enough to let go of things and to go to be with him. This is how you know God. This is how you know him in ministering to him is you know him as a provider, not because you've begged him for his provision, but because you've ministered to him and he has provided for you. This is how you know him as a healer, not because you beg him for healing, but because you come to him and he heals you. I believe that if God gave a lot of Christians what they're asking for, it would cause more damage in their life than it would good because they would see his hand and not his face. You would fall in love with his hand. You would use him as a genie or a vending machine. I promise you this, and if you can just hear my heart on this. If you find Jesus, but you don't get anything that you're wanting or needing in life, it'll be enough for you. I promise you. If you find Jesus, but you're never healed, I promise you'll be be satisfied. If you find Jesus, but you're never provided for, I promise he'll be enough. I promise you. He is enough. Here's the last thing I want to say, and then we'll, we'll go. We know him in obedience. We know the Lord in our obedience to him. When we obey God, we know who he is. Let me say this. Your life and the things that God asks from you, it's never about you. We, like, we're, not, we're not at the center of the gospel. Everything's about Jesus. And so when God comes to you and asks you to pick up your family and move to Texas, you can't say, God, what about 
me. Because it's not about Dominic. It's not about my family. What I have to assume is that in this obedience, Christ will be revealed in some way. When, when God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to talk to this person. I want you to do this with your life. I want, to sh- I want you to shift gears here. I want you to say this or don't say this. It's not so that God can control you. It's so that he could reveal Jesus. And it's in our obedience that Christ is revealed. And remember what Paul told Timothy, we love the appearing of Christ. And so if, if suffering acts of obedience will release the revelation of who Christ is, I want to be obedient. And I want, to sh- I want to show this to you. It's in Genesis chapter 22. This, is, this has been my most difficult passage of Scripture to, to navigate. And once I gave up trying to figure it out, it's been one of the most enjoyable Scripture verses for me. Like, I love this passage so much. It's probably top three for me in the entire Bible. But it's the passage of Scripture where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. There's so much here we can impact, but what I want you to see, I want you to see how his obedience revealed Jesus without his ability to know. It says this in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Does that sound familiar? Who else sent their son, their only son, who they loved? God. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Who else rode a donkey into Jerusalem? It's all about Jesus. And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, how many days? How many days was Jesus in the earth? Three days. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. That place, many scholars believe, is the exact hill of Golgotha that Christ was crucified on. Abraham took Isaac thousands of years before Christ ever was born in a manger and took him to the spot where Jesus would would die. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, with the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, just as the cross of Christ was laid on his back. And he took the fire in his hands and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham, unable to know the significance of the words that were getting ready to come out of his mouth, said this, My son, God will provide For himself, the lamb for a burnt offering. Not knowing that God would send his only son to climb up that same mountain, bearing the same wood, to be the lamb that would be sacrificed for our sins. And imagine in that moment being Abraham, confused, angry, hurt that God is asking you to sacrifice your promise, not understanding why. Can I tell you something? I hate that word so much. I hate why so much. God does not owe me an explanation for what he wants to do in this earth. How dare I have the audacity to question or make the holy God explain himself to me before he deserves my obedience. And this is what we see in Abraham. Confused, sad, angry, all the emotions, but knowing that he's good and he's God. And imagine years later as Abraham's in heaven on the balcony of heaven looking down and looking at Christ. Watching him climb up that mountain and say, that's that's where me and Isaac were. 
I get it now, God. I get what you were trying to do. This wasn't about me. This wasn't about Isaac. You were prophetically declaring to the world that Christ would one day come and he would bear the sins of us all. Our obedience isn't about us. It's a prophetic declaration of Christ in this earth. When God asks you to do something, we have to stop saying why. I hate when my kids say why. Man, I know parents. I know you feel me on this. I tried to explain this to my kids the other day. We were reading the Bible and and they were just, you know, oh no, we weren't reading the Bible. They, they were just asking why. And I was trying to explain. There are going to be times in your life where God tells you to do something and you might not understand, and he will not owe you an explanation. You have to get used to obeying without understanding. And it is in your obedience that Christ is revealed. Amen? I believe, and I'm going to share two scripture verses with you, and then we're going to go. I believe that obedience in the life of a believer is the suffering that we're called to endure. Newsflash, and I'm sorry if this isn't really good news, you did not come to Christ so that you would not have to suffer. You came to Christ to suffer with him. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says, For to, you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, Leaving us a way out of suffering. That's not what he says. Leaving us an example. He showed us how to suffer. That you should follow his steps. I don't believe that God sends sickness or disease or pain. You can come up, Erica. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All of that stuff, that's not, that happens to us. That's a result of life. But our suffering is the same as Christ. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He said, not my will your will be done. That is the suffering of a Christian, of laying yourself down, of dying to yourself every day, of getting yourself out of the way to identify with Christ. We're called to suffer with him. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. In 1 John, I love, I love this so much. This is 1 John. John writes this. If you can go to that, Tim, that'd be great. 1 John chapter 5. He says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. Jesus has come to give us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And what does John say? Echoing the same words that Jesus spoke in the garden. He says, this is eternal life. Could you stand to your feet with me, church, as we close? This is eternal life, that we might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you could do me a favor, just place your hand on your heart. I want to pray with you before we end this service today. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your job, your role, your goal here on earth, Holy Spirit, is to reveal and make known the Son of God. We open up our hearts to you right now, Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would fill our lives with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Just as Habakkuk says in chapter 2, that we might be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Would you cover us and fill us with the knowledge of Jesus? Every day we want to know you. Every day we want to understand more and more of you. Let us be like one of, the, one of the two disciples that was walking with you, Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, who said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures? Let our hearts burn within us with the desire to know you. Jesus, we repent for making this life about ourselves. 
Sorry for being like one of the Pharisees who knew the scriptures but didn't know Jesus. Help us to find you, Jesus. We love you and bless your holy name. In your name I pray, amen. We give it up for Pastor Don. Before he leaves, I've asked some of our pastors and our elders to walk him up here and to pray over him and just bless him, give him a word before he and his lovely family leaves off to Abilene, Texas. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of give you guys the mic and if you got a word for him, give it to him. If you got a prayer, we ask that you pray for him. You know, I... Uh... I remember coming to this place five years ago. And uh, I remember how I was feeling. And uh, so when you was going to Texas, I was kind of excited. It was kind of bittersweet. But I developed the excitement for the people of Texas, an excitement for the broken, the poor, the oppressed. Because the words you preached life-changing and in Titus it say God's word is manifested through preaching that's how important it is what you do so I'm excited for the people of Texas and I know what God has for you what he has started in you he's able to complete it and come new opportunities come new challenges but in those challenges grab tighter to God's unchanging hand lean into his everlasting arms even closer because people in Texas is going to need the words that's going to come out your mouth that God not that you put there but that God has put there that's how important it is for you to go to Texas so I'm thanking God already for the favor on your life and I thank the Holy Spirit that's always setting that's already setting up the atmosphere that's going to be good for God's word to come through Thank him for the favor on your family life, your wife's life. Everywhere you go, God's favor is going to be chasing you and running you down and overtaking you past the dawn. So remember who sent you. Don't look to man for your reward. Look for God for your reward. Because he's able. He's the only one that's able to repay you. Amen. I could say is ditto everything he said and I would just add that the the word that you, that God gives you to deliver I pray that it continues to come forth with simplicity and clarity and that allows people to just grab hold to it and apply it to their lives the way that you do it is so powerful and I just pray that God continues to use you to impact the lives of God's people it's it, it's it's just life-changing and your obedience to it. I've watched you over this probably last year, you know, getting in the tub of cold, of ice and just sacrificing those things and teaching all along the way. And I just thank you for it. You know, you're the first voice we heard when we came in here after Pastor Mark's hug. When we first came in here and, and, and it kept us, it sustained us through a really challenging time. And I just say thank you. God and I praise God for the people being prepared to hear everything God has to say through you and through your family. Amen. Pastor Dominic, when um, uh, Pastor Marlon had said that we would be praying on you, praying for, praying on you, praying for you today. <laughs> I was sitting in the kitchen yesterday, and uh, I sort of chuckled the way we used to tease. I used to say, Pastor Dominic, you got a red-hot word for me this morning? And you would say, Miss um, Denise, when I was writing this word, I thought, Miss Denise going to love this word this morning. And um, I got tickled uh, about that. And I was always blessed by the word you would give that Sunday. The two of you will go forth from Cleveland as captains, 
leaders of an invincible army, an army called and equipped by a holy, invincible God to take the land. As you enter the county limits of Abilene, Texas, begin to call the prodigals to come forth and the many others whose ears are already open and are awaiting your call. An army won't be an army that won't be afraid, an army eager to do the will of God, hearts that love God and love his people, hands and feet ready to walk and run and do the work of the ministry. Your Caleb's are waiting there for you. Surely you will go forth as a Joshua who has looked into the spirit and seen the possibilities. You've been, you've been faithful to your God and he has promised to be faithful to you. It won't be easy, it won't always be easy, but just stay obedient to your heavenly father. God has been honest and open with you, teaching you strategies and lessons to lead and guide his people. Jericho is yours. It might be easier to release you from this little church that sits here on this hill, but I'll never release you from my heart. May God bless, keep, guide you, and strengthen you. May your hopes, ambition, and dreams all come true. May days, may many days, many days, may the sun shine on your side of the street, and on other days, may you see the raindrops through the rainbows. Bless you, Pastor Dominic, you, Emily Riley, Jew, and Jackson. I want you all to know that I love you. And how much do I love you? I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. And that's a whole lot of love. I bless you. Hi, Pastor Dom. Uh, I hate microphones, but I'll use it today. Um, you have the best of your mom. Watch you grow up over the years has been tremendous. Um, family um, here appreciates you so much for what you've done and in between pastors and, and up here uh, singing. Uh, but uh, we just praise you. We thank you so much. We wish you so well in, in uh, Texas, Father, and new church. It's a new beginning. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. But acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. We pray for a hedge around your family to protect them, to be glorified, to Father, to put people in his place that can can um, open up his heart and uh, reach out to the people in Texas, like he's done in, in Cleveland and all throughout. We love you. We thank you. Pastor Dom. I had the privilege of hearing you for the first time when you, when we first opened here. And afterwards I thought, who, who is that kid? <laughs> who is that little boy that gets up there and speaks so profoundly the word of God? I was just blown away. And now you look like a grown-up. And... <laughs> But you still blow us all away with your with your um, preaching and, and your presence. And I just pray that everything goes well and your family thrives and loves Texas and that you'll come back and see us. Amen. If we could just um, gather around him, pray for him. Before I pray, I just want to say one, one little thing. I'll try to. First, I just want to apologize and say I'm sorry for all the times that I didn't appreciate or tell you thank you. But I appreciate your anointing. I appreciate your presence. I appreciate your friendship. And I appreciate who God created in you. I thank you for the anointing on Pastor Tom, Lord. 
and we honor him. We honor him because Jesus, you live in him. So as we honor him, we're honoring you. We're honoring your presence in this mighty man of God. Whom you send, you equipped. And he is equipped for this season. He is equipped for this chapter as he has turned the page in faith. We are excited for him, although we will miss him. We are excited for him, and as Pastor Ron said, for those that you are sending him to, because they will see Jesus. They will know Jesus. There is no doubt, because that is who this man is. He represents your character. He represents the fruit of the Spirit, every last one of them he represents. We cover him and bless him. Lord, surround him with faith and love. And as he leads his family and the church courageously and boldly, unashamed of the truth, holding nothing back, but pursuing your presence, the fullness of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. One more time, give it up for Pastor Dow. And I, Pastor Dow, it's been an honor and a privilege to serve with you, sir. Just to minister with you, and I won't wait for you to die. I'm going to tell you right now, you know Jesus. You know God. You walk with God. And so we just want to thank you for all that you do, man. I'm telling you, go to Abilene, Texas, and swing this sword. Swing this sword and continue to speak the truth of God. Amen. Well, listen, guys, we we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to do that right now. We want to give you that opportunity. We got some of our pastors, altar ministers that will be up here. So if you need prayer... I want you to come this way before you go that way. Amen. We want to thank you guys for being here today. We look forward to seeing you next week. Remember this week to live right, love everybody, and pray hard. We love you.